Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. So this series we're doing is called Nothing, which is a bit of a weird one to do a series about nothing. It doesn't really make any sense because there's nothing to do a series about. So what we're doing is each week we're looking at a different time in the Bible where the word nothing is used. Today, there is a really, really cool, famous hymn. And we're taking a line from that. It's also in the scriptures, it's in Hebrews, it talks about it. But you kind of know the song, if you know the song, if you've been around church for a while. Um, And that song is Nothing But The Blood Of Jesus. Now, the cool thing we've done is we've created a Spotify playlist. So if you're on Spotify and you want to get in the vibes for this series, we have a nothing playlist. There is stuff on it though. There is something on it. There's like 10, 11, 12 tracks. They're all really cool. Um, one of them on there is Governor B with Dietrich Haddon. If you haven't heard it, Nothing But About Jesus it is so sick. It's actually a really, really hot track. So that's one of the key songs on there. There's a lot of others on there. I'm not going to list. So go delight yourself and surprise yourself because they're all different kind of eclectic mixes. So Nothing But The Blood Of Jesus. So this is a strange thing to talk about because I guess in church, it's a really kind of normal thing to talk about. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, when we think about Jesus' blood, it's the kind of thing people say. I've gone to churches before, and the first thing someone said to me is, are you watching the blood of the Lamb? Like, when that's the first thing they say to you, you're kind of like, wow, okay, you know, hi, nice to meet you too. Uh, That's great. Are you sanctified? This, 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 and then somewhere along the line, I think it's five down the line, one other place, they asked me about the blood of Jesus, and you're like, wow, okay, you guys are really in deep, so far in deep. I, have, I don't think I've seen you out in Sainsbury's or anywhere else. You're just, you are fully in, you are submersed. Like, although I've never seen anyone yet go to church with the blood camo washed on their face, like Rambo, like ready, like I'm, I am really washed. Look at the blood, it is fresh, it is drying on my face right now. It seems like a strange thing to talk about because when you start talking about the blood, It's something from you and I that is so far removed. We all know that we have blood within our bodies. We all know that blood is key. We know that blood takes oxygen around the body as well as other things. We all know it from like a medical, clinical standpoint, from a biological standpoint. But blood isn't something that you and I have to deal with. We deal with it when our kid falls over and grazes their knee or when we cut ourselves cutting carrots or potatoes or something like that. But blood isn't isn't really a part of our everyday life. So when we look at parts of the Bible and we read about certain things that, that are said, those things can seem really distant from where we are. They can seem almost not that important. In the Old Testament, blood is such a key, key thing. Because what you have to understand is you and I, like we talk about kind of money and we have currency and that is what has value. But in, in those days, blood had a lot of values, is in living things, living organisms. So the way the Bible starts, it starts in Eden and you have... Adam and you have Eve in the Garden of Eden with God and there is this right relationship. The Bible talks about sin coming into the world, breaking that relationship. And as soon as that happens, one of the things that we find out is we find out that there are wages for sin. That when sin comes in, death is next down the line. So the conversation and the information that was passed on to Adam and Eve was that if you take the fruit of this particular tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. You will surely die. They ate it. They didn't just drop dead, but death entered into their world and into their way of life. Death was a foreign concept for them. 
For you and I, we all live in a world where we always know that we are born, we live, and we die. Every single one of us. Every single person you've ever met, everyone you've ever known, everyone dies. That's just not a spoiler. That's just how it is. That's life. You live, it goes well, it goes badly, whatever, you die. That's the plot. Now in Eden, this was a new plot for them, and they'd never really encountered death, and there comes this moment where they hide from God. The relationship they have has changed through sin, and now they're hiding from God, and they're covering themselves up in these fig leaves. And what happens is when God comes, he says, Adam, where are you? God's GPS wasn't broke. He wasn't like, geez, they found the one spot in the garden where my GPS isn't working. I have no idea where these guys are at. He's saying, where's the Adam that I knew and loved gone? Where's the Adam that I was connected to gone? You know what, it's a question actually that God is still asking today of you and asking of me. I've had those moments where I feel like God said, where's Andy gone? Like, this is not the same Andy. This isn't the guy I was with. This isn't the guy that was close to me. This is different Andy. This is an Andy that would rather hide from me than rush out to meet with me and chill with me because something's changed. Something's changed within me. And in their story, something had changed. And when they talk with God about it, there's this process that goes through and it ends with them no longer being clothed in fig leaves, but being clothed in the skin of an animal. So an animal died. All of a sudden, they saw what death looks like. All of a sudden, it got real. At the beginning, it was a, an idea and a feeling that they experienced and encountered, but now they were seeing what it would cost. And that was something that wasn't just gonna end with them, but carry on even through their offspring. So Abel, they had, two, they had a few kids, and Abel was one of the kids, and his sacrifice to God was one that had blood. He sacrificed livestock. Noah, the geezer we all know for surviving the flood and the mass genocide of humanity, um, the first thing he does when he gets off the boat, he gives a sacrifice. There's a blood sacrifice. Abraham, he would sacrifice to God in his thankfulness until one day God had promised Abraham to have a son, a son that would be his own. Abraham didn't take it that way. He thought, I'm really old, so he knocked up a side chick had a child through her, and then he was like, hey God, here's your promise, the kid's here, the boy's here. And God was like, no, I promised you what I promised you. You're gonna have it through Sarah, like I, like I initially said. And everyone was like, whoa. And then Sarah, who's really, really old, she has this baby, they have the kid, the kid is there and about the place. And when the kid is roughly about eight years of age, there comes this moment where God says, I want you to take your son Isaac, I want you to take him to the mountain with you, and I want you to sacrifice your, your your, your son to me. I want you to kill your son and sacrifice him to me in worship. When we look at these stories, it says the next day Abraham just got up and went and took his son. The next day. Now for you and I, we're like, whoa. Like we'd maybe like, you know, steady. Well, actually, no. I'd just say no. I couldn't do it. That's just me. But for Abraham in the world that he lived, he lived in a different time to you and I. And in their context, child sacrifice was a regular thing. It was a normal thing. And God was about to show them two things. He was about to show Abraham and all those after him, how different this God was than from every other God. And there were key things that God would say to Abraham that at the time would be passed down, that there would be a time when they would look back and they would see the language and they would see what was said and they would realize actually this was so much more important than that. See what happened was Abraham took Isaac along the road and they're going along and then it gets to the point where Abraham leaves some servants behind, they go a bit further along and then Isaac starts asking these questions and he's like, Okay, so we're going to do the sacrifice, but we haven't got the lamb, we haven't got the animal, we haven't got the animal to sacrifice. So, you know, kind of what's going on here? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide himself the sacrifice, which was a really clever way of saying it because Isaac is God's provision for his life. 
So Isaac is the provision of a son that he'd always wanted, that God had promised himself that he would give to him. And so the provision is going to be the sacrifice. Isaac's realizing kind of what's happening. But actually what Abraham says is actually so much more potent and powerful than that. He gets there, he lays him down, he's ready to do it, he's ready to sacrifice his his son. And there's this moment where this angel interjects and he stops him dead in his tracks. And we end the story with Isaac not being sacrificed, God setting himself out as with a USP, a unique selling point to all the other gods that were celebrated by all the other tribes, that this God was not like all the others, that he did provide the sacrifice and there was a ram caught in the thickets with these thorns wrapped around its head, trapped, and the ram was sacrificed and it was, it was pleasing to God. And we're going to get to why that kind of matters. And then later on we have as we've talked about so many times before, because it's one of my favorite passages, we look at the Exodus story. We have a people in slavery. And while they're in slavery, God is using Moses to free them. And at the end of all the wonders God performs, he says that to go to Pharaoh again, he says, tell Pharaoh, if you don't take your hand off my firstborn son, I will kill your firstborn son. And he says that the angel of death will pass over the houses. And when he passes over Egypt, that those who do not have the blood of this lamb on the doorposts and on the lintels, they will lose their firstborn son. And he instructed all the children of Israel, put this blood, take this meal, have it with your family, get all your stuff together because we're in slavery today, but we're leaving free tomorrow. God's gonna set us free. And this is a key instruction. And so they go, they have this meal, they have this lamb, they get the blood and every single one of the children of Israel sticks it on the doorposts, sticks it on the lintels. And the Bible says the angel of death passed over their houses. But in Egypt, there was a great cry, a cry that mimicked probably the same kind of cry that happened when the Egyptians killed a load of firstborn Israelites prior to this whole situation. And in the morning, when Pharaoh wakes up, they find the very next day after having this meal that they're free. And the reason they're free is all comes down to blood. We can talk about finances. Eden, the reason we were talking about currency, sorry, my kid is killing me today. <laughs> she is no respect for me. Absolutely. Like, Eden, do you want me to get across and just get the nails out? Let's do it. You know, it's a communion service. Let's crucify Andy. We want to talk about blood. Let's see mine. You know, jeez, man, she's absolutely on it. I said to Jody this morning, I said, yeah, I'll take Eden. And I was thinking, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. Why did I do this to myself? So when we talk about currency and we talk about money and and trading and exchanging, one of the key things we see as a theme throughout the whole of the Bible is the blood is the currency. The blood is is the interaction between man and God. Ever since sin has taken place, not before, when there was no sin in the world, blood didn't matter. Blood was just a thing that brought oxygen around. What's a really cool thing is that God breathed into man and breathed life into Adam. He took dust, he formed it, he breathed life into him. And what does blood do? It takes oxygen around the body. One of the funny things I've heard said is we pronounce God's name Yahweh, um, but actually the name of God is impronounceable. It's these, um, it's all vowels in the Hebrew language. It's yod Hey vah Hey. And one thing that one of the ancient rabbis said was that actually you couldn't pronounce the name of God, but the name of God was like breathing. They would say it was like yod, like yod hey vah hey. So yod hey vah hey, And so the ancient rabbis used to say that it was kind of like the first thing you did when you were born was you would take a breath. You would 
to say the name of God. The last thing you would do was you would no longer be able to say the name of God anymore. And so the idea was that there was like power in this blood and this blood was passing the very name of God, the very life that God gave to Adam around our bodies. So blood was the currency and, and the way of paying for sin. And so they would do these offerings and these sacrifices that became a part of the Mosaic law after the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt. And so blood was built into their entire customs. So every year they would remember Passover by taking this meal and going through the meal together. And they did this every year for thousands of years. Still today, Passover is celebrated. Not in the same way. No animals are killed at the moment because there isn't a Jewish temple anymore in Israel. But every year they remember this meal. Every single year because blood is the currency. And when we look at the Bible, we can look at in Romans 6, it says in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus in John 6 was preparing the people for this new way of seeing the Passover meal and they didn't understand it at the time, but they did get offended by it. In verse 54 of John chapter 6, it says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him, as the Father has sent me. And I live because of the Father. Whoever feeds on me... He will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever, Jesus said. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is the true food and my blood is the true drink as you can imagine you can see why people got a bit offended by what he was saying there so when we look also not just at the Old Testament and the teachings of Jesus we see the teachings in the apostles as well so in Ephesians 1 verse 7 it says in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then in 1 Peter 1, 18-19, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And in the book of Revelation it says, and from Christ Jesus in chapter 1 verse 5, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And in Revelation 12 verse 11 and they overcame him the devil the enemy by the power by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they love not their own lives unto death they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony one of the funny things about um, in the Hebrew tradition about death is that as soon as someone dies you can't touch the body you can't be around it if you touch the body you become contaminated there's this kind of whole idea around the sacrificial system and this whole idea around death and everything that happened that God actually was so abhorrent and so broken about death entering into mankind 
that there was this this sense where it wasn't just out of some sort of weird tradition, but it was just the contamination of that that sin, the contamination of that coming to an end. That in the Hebrew culture, you just couldn't touch that person for like seven days. You couldn't go anywhere. You went near that body. That's it. You became contaminated by it. What I love about that is it seems like a weird kind of religious tradition, and I guess in some ways it is, but it's this sentiment, this understanding from God that actually, just like you and I, when someone dies, you and I grieve, and although the person is gone, and you could say, like, if you look at it, because people talk about balance in the universe, and they talk about yin, and they talk about yang, and they talk about all that kind of stuff, and they talk about, like, um, sin and death balancing it out, that when death enters in, then the price has been paid for what's happened. And that's kind of true. But to put it just as that, as though that's some sterile kind of theology and some sterile kind of God, but actually that's not who God is at all. Because actually when the wrong has been right, when the price has been paid for sin, as soon as that happens, there's still this period where you can't even touch the body, where you can't have this interaction. There's this period of this isn't actually over the pain of this situation just lingers on and lingers on. And so when we look at the the whole of the narrative and we look from the beginning straight through to the end, there is this pain with God that has just lingered and lingered and lingered after child after child after child has died. Child after child has died until there comes this point where God says, no more. This is where I draw the line. This doesn't happen anymore. And where God becomes flesh and blood and lives among us and starts to teach and he starts to tell the people that, it's, it's me. That if you want to talk about bread, if you want to talk about living, if you want to talk about life, then you, you, you come here. This, this stops with me. And so when we look at Passover and when we look at Jesus and we look at his death on the cross, all of these things kind of converge to a God who isn't sterile and distant, but a God who was heartbroken by the state of mankind, by death and by sin, to the point where he would come in our place, that he would lay his life down, that he would give his own blood as a transaction that he would die for us that there would be this forgiveness of our sins and so what happened for these good Jewish boys I'm going to end with this is that in the build up to the Passover that we read in the Gospels there's this scenario where they're heading to celebrate it together as a collective and as the disciples are there they come together for this one Passover meal and they're looking back remembering Egypt remembering the deliverance of these people from slavery and as they were there what happens is they start to reenact and to go through the meal celebration they would have to remember the slavery and the freedom that comes and Jesus comes to this point in the story where he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says this is my body broken for you and then he takes wine which they would always take which would remind them of Egypt remind them of the blood on the doorpost and the lintels and he would take the wine and as he took it he would pour the wine and he would say this is my blood poured out for you and for many and then he would say do this in remembrance of me Now, for the disciples sitting there listening around, they'd be listening and they'd be saying, Jesus, what are you even talking about? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. This is crazy. Like, this is heresy. This is offensive for us as Jews that you would talk about Passover and you would make it about you. But Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. They've done this in remembrance of Egypt their whole lives. The only problem is none of the disciples in the room, they're all Jewish boys, not a single one of them has experienced Egypt. Not a single one of them has been liberated from Egypt. That's their ancestors way back when. It's not even, it's so far gone and so far removed, it's not even relatable for them anymore. But if Jesus takes it, he breaks the bread and then he pours the wine and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you as the covenant, as the promise. And then what happens is a few 
days later from this moment, he is crucified. They see his body broken and mangled, hanging on a cross. They see the spear going his side where blood and water flows down and poured out. And then Jesus is dead. And as far as they're concerned, the whole bandwagon they've jumped on, the whole um, innovative movement that they thought was going to change the world and change their community is dead and gone with him and behind a big stone. And then they start hearing from a bunch of women, which we talked about from the series and just last Sunday, started to go around saying, we've seen Jesus, he's risen from the dead. And she gets the band back together. And then they encounter the risen and the resurrected Jesus. And then what happens after that is that after they've met with Jesus, he's risen and ascended. Can you imagine what it was like the very next time the disciples got together and they got the bread out and they got the wine out. And when they talked about do this in remembrance of me, they weren't talking about Eden and the sin that happened and being clothed. They weren't talking about Noah and the, the, the destruction and the flood of the whole earth and surviving it by, by God's provision and the sacrifice he made. They weren't talking about Moses and the people enslaved being brought out and in freedom. They weren't talking about that anymore. They were talking about themselves. They were talking about their own narrative, their own story, their own sin. And they were talking about a God who became flesh and blood, whose body was broken for them and whose blood was poured out for them, that they might have forgiveness of their sins, that they might have a new life in Jesus, that they might encounter the same resurrection that he encountered that they could experience in their own lives. So today, what we're doing about is we're talking about nothing but the blood of Jesus because it's literally nothing but the blood of Jesus that makes us right with God. You can't, you can't balance the scale. You can't come along and say, I'm now gonna make up for being a douche for the last couple of years by being good for a couple of years and then it reenacts. It doesn't, you've done it. The person you've mistreated, you've mistreated. That's there. No matter what you decide and how you live your life afterwards, it doesn't change that that person's experienced that. The only thing that rights the wrong is that God came in flesh and blood and the wrath of God wasn't poured upon you for your sin. It was poured upon Jesus for your sin. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin itself. That is why we have communion. And today, as we break bread, you and I can fall into two camps. We could fall into both camps and we could be doing both of these things. But for some of us, we may take the bread and the wine and we may be thinking, you know what? I feel like I'm in Egypt right now and this sucks and I need Jesus to bring me out. And we look to him going, Jesus, your body broken for me and I'm going to remember this moment where I have this because I know you're going to deliver me. You're going to bring me through. You're going to bring me out of this and I'm going to experience newness of life with you. And you take it hoping, believing for that freedom that when you leave. For others of us here, we'll be able to point back to a time in our life and like they did, we'll do this in remembrance of that moment that he set us free. That moment where life was so bleak, where it was so dark and everything closed in around us and he delivered us and he brought us out. Some of us, like I said, may be in both. We may be able to look back and go, you know what, Jesus did this in my life and that was awesome, but right now I feel like the walls are closing in. And Jesus, I'm taking this, thanking you for what you did before, but I'm thanking you for what you're about to do right now. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the wine. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that there is nothing but the blood of Jesus that can make us right with you. There is nothing but your love, your grace that you gave out for us on the cross. There is nothing you withhold from us. You give it freely to us. Father, I thank you that today some of us may be sitting there feeling like the whole world is just closing in around us. This tightness and this lack of freedom and as we take this bread and as we take this wine, may we experience new freedom, Lord. May you deliver us from the situation we're in. For some of us, we may feel weighed down with, with guilt. For some of us, we may feel weighed down with um, 
depression, all sorts of things that can be going on in our lives and situations. It can be work, it can be family, it can be loneliness, it can be all sorts of types of things that we experience. As we take this, Lord, may we remember what you did for us to experience freedom, that us to experience liberty. And may you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring that freedom to our lives. For others of us, Lord, may we celebrate today what it is that you've done for us before. And for those of us who are in that schizophrenic limbo state of it's one hand to it, both of those things for us. I pray that we would experience your power and your resurrection, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.